Welcome to the TESFE podcast with me, Sarah Simons. In today's episode, I'm live from the AOC conference and I'm joined by Mark Daw. Welcome, Mark. Hello. For those not in the know, can you tell us about what you do in the world of education? So I'm the chief exec of the Association of Employment Learning Providers. Um, it basically is a trade body for independent training providers and colleges and universities now, really focused on work-based learning. So I suppose apprenticeships, traineeships, adult education programs, which are mainly in the community or with employers. So that's, I suppose, our USP. Um, we've grown enormously over the last couple of years, really with on the back of the apprenticeship levy, so many more organisations coming into apprenticeships, universities trying to work out what on earth apprenticeships are, so they join us to understand all the different parts of it. And we also have endpoint assessment organisations as full members now. Right. So really the end-to-end delivery of work-based um, training. And have you always been in that area? Me personally? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I started as a chartered accountant in the city. Right. And I joined a college um, sort of on the non-academic side down in Canterbury for seven, eight years. Um, I've worked in the department doing adult basic skills. Then I was a college principal for five years. And then I ran OCR, the exam board, for five years. All right. So, so. you have massive experience of all areas of... FE and yeah, skills. and education and ed- more broadly, yeah, yeah. and it's been fascinating seeing the different from the different angles. But it makes it makes doing this job makes it a lot easier to understand what the civil servants are looking for, what the assessment bodies are looking for, what the providers are looking for. So uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So today, following the brilliant piece by George Ryan in the TES <laughs> magazine, we'll be chatting about endpoint assessment. Imagine signing up for a programme of study, not knowing how long it would take you to complete it or how you'd be assessed at the end of it. Or being stuck in limbo for 18 months after finishing the course, unable to sit the final assessment because the test is still being decided by industry regulators. This is what's happening to some apprentices. Mark, what's going on? Well, it's back to front. And having, having worked in, in an exam board doing GCSEs and A-levels, you start with the regulator a single regulator, you set out the criteria for the assessment and what you expect to happen across all those exams. You then design the qualification and the assessment that goes with it and then you put that out to the market and the the exam boards will decide whether to run it or not, create create the material sample assessment material so everyone can understand what the assessment will look like. The regulator checks all of that before it's even first first taught, and then there's probably a year of first teaching before the, the exam is set. What we've got at the moment is people being taught on something where in some cases there's not even an assessment, um, and if there is an assessment, there's not a assessment body that's willing to do it, with no regulator sitting over the top because they haven't got up and running yet, and even where there is a regulator, there's actually 40 of them so there's, the chance of having a standard approach to anything is almost zero. So it's yeah. absolutely the wrong way round. And there's individuals caught up in the middle of this whose, whose livelihoods are being, at best, stunted. What we have to say is that, that um, we are where we are. I mean, we've been, we've been shouting about this for the last two years yeah. and saying it's a disgrace. It would never be accepted in the academic side, GCSEs and A-levels. Yeah. So we are where we are. So what, what do we need to do? They are getting good apprenticeship training mm. and support. So that's, that's good. 
but like you say for some they're getting to the end now and there's no assessment body mm. and even if there is um, there are challenges about arranging that assessment which could take months so imagine doing studying for your A level all the study stops you finish school and then you're told right you're going to have your exam in six months time you're going to forget everything yeah, and, yeah. and it's just so it's just not right and there's no it's not the provider's fault, it's not the endpoint assessment organisation's fault, it's the system that's letting them down at the moment. Yeah. So there are things we think could be done quickly to change all of this, and it's very frustrating that the Institute for Apprenticeships in particular is not taking the action. And um, this new assessment framework has arisen from the 2012 Richard Review, so that was Doug Richard, and he said that the assessment should be led by entirely independent assessors. Yeah. Is this the issue or is it the way that it's been put into practice? Any good assessment should be valid, reliable and manageable. You know, those are the magic three words for mm. any assessment. And um, a lot of the reliability validity is around having someone doing the assessment that is independent so they're not influenced by the teaching. Yeah. So, absolutely, but when you look at, say, okay, I'll use GCSEs a lot because it's much more like GCSEs than the, than the vocational apprenticeship mm. traditional frameworks. 95% of all GCSE examiners are teachers. Right. right? And, and most of them are current teachers. So you're drawing from what is the equivalent of the provider base. And so why it is still valid and reliable is the schools are in control of the teachers when they're teaching, the exam boards are in control of the assessors when they're assessing or examining. And what we're saying is, yes, independence, but actually it's the exam board, in this case the Endpoint Assessment Organisation's responsibility to make sure that individual is not being unduly influenced in any way. So we think it's been a taking of taking too literally of those words right. rather than actually saying, right, we need proper controls in place. Uh, to make sure that this independence is maintained. But there's nothing wrong with pulling assessors from the employer or assessors from providers, even, you know, if you're a big provider, even from the same provider, as long as they're not teaching that individual. And the exam board, the endpoint assessment organisation, has got proper controls in place. So it's not at all a case of them marking their own homework? Not at all, no. And you wouldn't say that in the GCSEA level world. It's, it, you know, they're... I understand the concerns from the past where, you know, under a framework, it was much more about a, a provider's assessor, a very different type of assessor, going in, looking at what the individual's doing, ticking off what they're doing, and that provider saying, yes, they've got to the end place, mm. it's fine. So that that is, if you're going to use that frame, marking own homework, but in, in many ways, again, controls are in place, but not yeah. as strong. This is absolutely different. It's a separate entity that's doing the assessment, an endpoint assessment organisation versus the provider. They're separate, mm. so it's not marking own homework. So with this new framework, there's a big market sprouting, which is potentially worth about £250 million a year. About 46 quality assurance organisations have sprung up so far. How do we know that what they're doing is right and also... How can standards possibly be yeah. consistent? Yeah. So two separate things there. So I'll do the, deal with the last one first, which is the EQAs. So they're the body that sits over the endpoint assessment organisations 
and make sure the delivery of the standards is done in a valid and reliable and manageable way, this, the, that mantra. Um, outside apprenticeships, that job is done by Ofqual, one organisation, a lot of assessment expertise, and they make sure across the board that standards are maintained. I can't see how L46 can be doing that consistent job. Yeah. It's just impossible. Now, I get that different sectors, you know, if you're dealing with care, hospitality, construction, have different needs and different approaches. But when it comes to assessment, there are some core principles that sit over the top of that. So our belief is there shouldn't be 46, there should be one. It should be off-qual. They're the government regulator, basically, for assessment. Um, and then we'd get the consistency. But worse, we've got, of those 46, a lot of them aren't operational yet, so endpoint mm. assessment is happening without any regulations sitting over. And where they are in existence, they're taking different approaches. So if you're an endpoint assessment organisation, you're being monitored and audited by, say, 10 different EQAs, yeah. depending on what standards you're delivering. And the poor employer, who may be doing a range of the standards, are being told, right, for this standard, we need this data and we're taking this approach. For this standard, it's a different set because it's different regulators basically regulating the same product at the end right. of the day. So it's a mess. And we will get poor quality coming out, not because anyone's doing anything particularly bad. It's just no one's saying this is how it should be done consistently. Yeah. And we're starting to hear stories, anecdotes about that. And my job really is to keep raising this because the last thing we need is the system to be discredited when so many people are doing such good work. Where there's an emerging market, where there's a lot of money to be made, yeah. it, it concerns me that there might be some wrong-uns turning up who have their eye on the bank yeah. account rather than the eye on what they're doing. So I think on, on you know, and you're talking about endpoint assessment organisations yeah, yeah, yeah. here in particular, there's a desperate need for them actually the upfront investment to prepare for a standard before there's anyone doing it is quite significant and they have to wait until the end of the program so they could be waiting a year two years three years before any money comes in so the investment required is actually quite substantial to come into that market right um but but if one organization is designing their multiple choice tests for example in one way and another in another way um, with no quality assurance over the top. It's not their fault they're doing that. Um, it's just that they're not necessarily just, talking to yeah, each other. Yeah, and if one has got an 80% pass rate and the other's got a 50% pass rate, again, it's not their fault, it's just they've designed it in the way they've read the assessment criteria. But doesn't that invalidate the qualification? Well, it, what it means is there's an inconsistent approach and yeah. no one's sitting over the top. And it's, it's not... It's not because they're doing anything dodgy, it's just there's no standards being placed over the top. So our worry is that, you know, exactly what you've said, people looking in will just say, well, that doesn't seem right, that it's not, it's not valid, that's the last thing we need. You're 250 million, I mean, they uh, endpoint assessment, you know, the, the sort of line, isn't it, up to 20% of the standard is towards endpoint assessment. Well, these endpoint assessments are incredibly expensive, a lot of them, because they involve... I was hearing one the other day, six hours of observation, face-to-face -face observation, so you've got to have someone travel to the apprentice's site, do the observation, uh, professional discussions and interviews, again, face-to-face -face stuff, 
online uh, multiple choice. This is all expensive assessment yeah, delivery, yeah. especially when it's one-to-one rather than in a massive exam hall with 200 kids yeah. sitting there writing out. Um, so there is a lot of money, but actually it's costing a lot of money to deliver. And it goes back to this point about assessors as well. We don't think there's a big enough uh, workforce at the moment available to do that assessment. So that's our other massive worry at the moment mm. is, the, is the, the volume of assessors that are going to be needed when all of this is fully running. Yeah. Let me give you some stats on that. that if we're having 600,000 starts a year in standards um, and then they're all coming to an end so it's a constant, that's 50,000 assessments a month that are going to be needed. And most endpoint assessments have three elements. That's 150,000 assessments per month that are going to need to be delivered in this country across all the standards. That's a lot of people working on it to to deliver it. And we just don't have a workforce capacity at the moment. So we as an organisation have created a training package. We have suggested to the Institute for Apprenticeships and Ofqual and the ESFA a way of making sure that um, there aren't conflicts in interest, but we can draw on the expertise in providers and employers just to try and make sure there isn't this capacity issue as we go forward. Yeah. If there's such a wide difference in what is constituted a pass or a good pass... Pass merit distinction. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Where does that leave the employer? How do they know well, what they're getting? So, again, normally you would have very clear criteria about what leads to pass yeah. merit distinction. And in the standards, and, and uh, it does define what that should look like. But again, that can always be open to interpretation about how it's delivered. So that's why you have quality body over the top. But also, more worrying in a way, is each standard has defined what pass merit and distinction is and how right. it can be calculated. So a simple example, say you've got an assessment which is an observation and then a professional discussion. There are examples of standards where you're observed and you may just pass because you've missed out some bits, but during the professional discussion you can talk about those extra bits, get a distinction and get a distinction overall. Whereas in another standard, the same scenario, you've missed out bits, you get a pass, no matter what you do in the conversation, even if you get a distinction, because you've only got a pass in one element, you can only get a pass overall. Right. So different approaches are being taken for how you get your pass merit and distinction, which individually, fine, but when you've got an overarching system, it should be the same. Yeah. It should be the same because an apprentice is an apprentice and we should be saying a level two apprentice, whether it's care hospitality, construction, management, uh, business admin, they should, the way their grading is calculated should be the same, even though you're assessing different things, and that's not happening at the moment. So absolutely, an employer is going to have to understand each standard and what a pass merit distinction means if they really want to know, and that's a problem. So... We know what is happening. Say you have the power to scrap it all and start again. (laughs) (laughs) What would it look like? I've offered. (laughs) (laughs) Right. What is apparent to me is there are many, many people and organisations in this sector who are desperate to make this work because they believe in apprenticeships. Uh, They believe actually in the standards and the teaching and, and, you know, and, and, and how it's delivered. And if we could embrace and bring them in, then actually this would work. So 
as I've mentioned, Ofqual are the regulator for assessment and the IFA should hand that responsibility over to Ofqual now so there's one organisation dealing with the whole yeah. assessment quality side of things. There should be absolute honesty about how many endpoint assessment organisations are signed up for each standard, but more, how many are ready to deliver today Yeah. and how many are saying actually we will be ready but it's six months and how many are actually saying we're on the register but we've done nothing because there's a lot that have registered but they've not done any work they're waiting to see what volumes there are so even though the IFA says 90 90 something percent are covered what I know for certain is some of those endpoint assessment organisations are doing nothing at the moment so they're registered they're covering it uh, in the IFA definition there's nothing there I would very quickly move to a position, especially for new standards, where there was an expectation that the assessment was available from when the first individual starts the apprenticeship. And why that's so important is when you're learning, you need to know how you're going to be tested at the end, what the types of questions are, because it affects how you're taught. This isn't cynical teaching to the test. It's understanding that there is a curriculum and these are the different ways they'll be assessed. If you don't know that, you can be taught brilliantly, but not be prepared to then for the question, types of questions. And that, that really lets the student down. So I would have a requirement that that assessment is in place with sample materials and a proper syllabus as well. Going back to what I said right at the beginning about switching it around, making sure the regulator's there, making sure the assessment's actually in place before the apprentices come through. Yeah. That sounds very sensible to me. (laughs) (laughs) I should be running this. (laughs) Mark, it's been absolutely brilliant talking to you. Thanks so much. And you. Thank you. This has been the TESFE podcast with Mark Daw and me, Sarah Simons. Join us again soon for all the FE news and views. Thanks for listening.